This episode is made possible by our sponsor, CSU Ramzone, powered by the CSU Bookstore, a great sponsor of our Pick'em and Bracket contests all year. Ginger and Baker, our favorite restaurant on the planet, and of course, Peterson Toyota. It is 2024, and you may be thinking this is the year for a new car. Let me introduce you to the all-new 2024 Land Cruiser with prices starting in the mid-50K range. Whether you're conquering rugged trails or cruising through the city streets, Land Cruiser brings dynamic energy to any adventure. Peterson Toyota can hook you up with a test drive. They're your local Toyota dealer serving Fort Collins, Loveland, Windsor, and Tinmouth, and they've been doing so for more than 50 years. Not only will you find the latest Toyota models, you'll also find a friendly and accommodating staff eager to assist you. You'll receive first-class attention, whether it be a service appointment, help picking out the right part for your Toyota, or test driving a new or pre-owned vehicle. Whatever you're looking for, Peterson's expert staff will help you find the one that is right for you, all at competitive pricing and financing. If you're in the market for a new or used vehicle, please give Peterson Toyota a first shot at your business. Thanks. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Ram Nation Radio. I'm Joel Cantalamessa. Man, this is our fourth episode, I think, in the last 10 days, so really grinding. <laughs> uh, wasn't really our intention to get on this cadence, but there's a lot going on in Ramland right now, so we want to talk about it. So a packed show today. I'm going to bring in uh, Mike Rowe and Steve Ivey of Crackers College Hoops in a little bit, and we're going to break down the very frustrating loss for the CSU Rams at the pit in Albuquerque on Wednesday night. Rams fought valiantly, just had a mental, physical, whatever lapse you want to call it at the very end of the game, forgot to play defense and and really blew a chance to beat the Lobos in the pit, really um, bolster your resume, improve your seed, keep yourself in contention for Mountain West Conference title hopes. Those are all shot. So um, didn't kill you from metric standpoint, not at all. I mean, it was a quad one game, but uh, just a real missed opportunity. That's been the story of the season in Mountain West play. Just cannot figure out a way to win on the road. Very, very, very frustrating. Um, so we'll talk about that. But um, I wanted to share some thoughts. So I had the uh, privilege of attending an event today, recording this Thursday night. A good buddy of mine, Matt DeWolf, who is the CEO of a company called Front Steps. They're a prop tech company. But uh, he had a plan with Joe Parker prior to uh, Joe being let go earlier this week that uh, we, we were going to host a event, a lunch at Colorado Golf Club where he's a member. And uh, it was solely to get some folks from down here in this area involved and uh, just to connect with the athletic director and um, you know, and that's really the only motivation was to Joe, Joe would like to get in front of people and, and talk to fans and just engage, really just kind of get engaged with small groups. And when Joe left, uh, or when Joe was, uh, relieved of his duties, uh, as AD, uh, we thought that the, the event was going to be canceled, but, uh, John Weber, uh, and ironically, Matt and John are good buddies from college, fraternity buddies, fraternity brothers, uh, share season tickets together in football and uh, or have in the past. And uh, Matt did not even have to reach out to John, really. John had already kind of had it on the radar and and really just 
filled in. <laughs> Just say, hey, I will be down there uh, and we will meet with whoever you got coming. So I had a group of, I don't know, 16 or so good fans, some some from Ram Nation, some longtime Ram Nationers. So it was great to see a lot of those, those folks and a couple uh, former student athletes there as well. Great group of people um, and some friends from down here in Parker that uh, are CSU alumni. So, and we just sat and uh, and listened to John. John kind of shared his vision as uh, interim AD, shared his vision for the athletic department, answered a bunch of questions, basically talked for about an, an hour and 15 minutes. And um, so my original intent was to to record with him, get him, get him a little interview afterwards. But he talked so much. I'm just going to kind of recap some of the things that he talked about that, uh, you know, you might find interesting. But um, so a really good day. Obviously, this is a uh, a substantial transition for him and uh, the university, and it happened uh, obviously Monday. And he's going to start by saying that he has a ton of respect and admiration for Joe Parker. Really stressed that. Said he's a good friend of his, and along with uh, Joe's wife Jen and John's wife Julie, they've uh, they've been they've been tight for a while, and. It made the situation kind of difficult. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, he said Amy's decision was made around the trajectory of athletics as a whole. And with the changing landscape in college athletics and where where a lot of these priorities and, and things are changing, um, especially in the next two, three years, Amy decided that that was that a change was necessary and new leadership was necessary. And I think a big part of Having John serve as the interim was his his knowledge and his embracing of NIL. And John kind of said that all these changes that have part that have taken place in the last two years in relation to NIL, in relation to transfers, in relation to conference realignment and playoff and all that stuff that's happened. He said, what's going to happen in the next two two years is going to make these last two years look like child's play. So um, interesting comments there. He said that Amy said, look, I've got a decision I need to make and are you willing to help? <laughs> and so John, who has been in service to CSU over the last two years, uh, as the director, executive director of the green and gold guard fully volunteered, John, John was retired before he, he jumped in and helped out with the green and gold guard. Um, so now he's elevated his duties even greater as the interim AD. But, you know, John's like, when I got that call, of course, I was like, of course, I'm going to help whatever you need. So it basically everything that he and Amy have talked about is what CSU athletics needs to do to really reach its full potential and said the university can't reach its full potential if the athletic department is not reaching its full potential. He stressed that Amy is a president that very much understands the value of athletics to the university. It's like what Jack Graham used to, to say with the front porch. Um, it's the marketing engine for the university. He said there's a commitment to make sure athletic programs are reaching that peak potential and um, and that the two, the, the success of the athletic department and the success of the university are absolutely linked. So he said it is up to me and this organization, the athletic department organization, uh, to make sure we're doing everything that we possibly can to deliver an athletics program to this university that makes all of us proud. It makes the university proud. 
um, and moves the university forward in a way that uh, really, at least in recent years, have not been able to achieve. He said that we've had success here and there and across a number of our athletic programs. Some of the teams have been incredibly good historically. Uh, you've got a track and field team that's, as we speak, down at Albuquerque, the Mountain West Indoor Championships, and said, you know, they're probably going to be hoisting a lot of trophies over the next few months as the spring season arrives. But on the other end of the, the spectrum, you've got programs that aren't quite as successful. At least if they've had success, it hasn't been anything that's been sustainable for a long time. And you look at the evolution of college athletics and the conference realignment perspective, the university has to be in a better position where it can take advantage of that. It has to be the obvious choice when those kind of moves are on the horizon and our decisions are being made. You need, need to be able to move the university forward in a manner that that creates that benefit, gives you that opportunity. So that's what President Amy Parson sees, according to John Weber, and she is committed to ensuring that CSU is in a position to do that. John said it's a big lift to get there. And it's going to take a very, very committed effort on their part, as well as all of us. So uh, he said that essentially, if you want a different result on the field and the results you're seeing across the board, you got to do something different. And that's what they're committed to doing. He said, you know, you look at all these things that have changed across collegiate sports with the conference realignments, the massive TV deals and, and teams jumping from league to league, leagues collapsing, NIL, transfers, all this stuff, John is committed to hitting head on uh, through this transitionary period and to make sure that CSU puts itself into great position no matter what comes in the next few years. Says that we are well equipped from a people standpoint. He loves the coaches across the board, says we're um, in good shape there. You've got good coaches, you've got great people. And they're all recruiting high caliber kids. So those are some of the foundations that CSU has going for it. He was asked about immediate priorities. And, um, you know, he said, kind of deferred that and said, really, right now, the role is about continuity and focus. Um, you know, he's been asked a lot in the last few days, where does CSU go from here? And he said, honestly, there's just there's so much competition going on right now with their their sports that it's really just a matter of they have got to make sure that they keep that going and they keep the athletic department going and they don't slip because they've lost the the day-to-day -day function of Joe Parker and all that. So he said once they get through to a better place uh, of this spring season coming up, um, they will work on their substantial vision for what CSU will become athletically. And he said he's absolutely confident that CSU has the leadership at the university to get there. So then uh, kind of opened it up for, for questions, and it was really anything goes. And one of the questions started off was, what's going to happen with the Pac-2? What are they going to do? And John called that the million-dollar question. He said it's really not as simple as the Mountain West teams going to the Pac and saying, hey, let's reconstitute a new league under your banner of the Pac, whatever. And um, he said there's just too much stuff right now at play. It's why that the Pac-2 has stalled on making any decisions. They don't have to reform their league. They've got a two-year grace period. 
So they're going to hold on as long as possible to see if anything else shakes out. And this is a lot of the same stuff that Joe's already told us, right? Uh, and a lot of stuff you've already known and, uh, and, and seen in the news. But they obviously have a big war chest of money. Um, and they're just going to hold out and see what shakes out. They're not going to rush hastily into merging with the Mountain West or anything like that. I think they're holding out hope that something might shake up with the ACC and they may not end up needing to grab more teams. Who knows? But uh, John, as he mentioned earlier, as I as I said earlier, that he really believes there's going to be additional movement in the next year or two. So he said there's a lot of work that's happening in the Pac-2 at the end of the day, he thinks there's a probably a pretty good chance that those schools will try to pull schools into their new conference, not just merge entirely with the Mountain West. They'll take, uh, you know, who they believe is the top schools from the Mountain West and whoever else, and they really will just try to maintain their autonomous and their power, whatever their autonomous or power status. John says, I don't know if that's going to work for them. Um, didn't sound like he he thought that that was uh, a realistic prospect for for them, but. He said, we have been in contact with them for sure. They're just constant contact, making sure that everyone's apprised of, of where everyone stands. Gloria Navarez, the commissioner of the Mountain West, has been spending a lot of time, obviously, talking with those two schools, uh, as well as the, you know, the, the, the presidents and the ADs within the Mountain West. You know, and, and, and John said, hey, we are always going to look at how do we level up and bring ourselves to a, a better situation. So uh, if that means a possible new league, that's something they would they would look at. So it's really a fascinating business problem because the PAC-2 has been used to these certain media dollars, this is TV revenue, and all of a sudden that's going to, to be gone, right? They're going to fall under there with this this alliance, the scheduling alliance they've done with the Mountain West, they'll get some money from that, but they're going to miss out on the 20, 30, 30 million dollars or what, whatever uh, the pack was getting over the next several years because they are no longer part of that, that arrangement. So uh, they have got to figure out how they're going to survive on that. And John was wondering, you know, how is that going to affect them from a competitive standpoint? Are they going to be able to, to keep Student athletes. I mean, you saw with uh, Oregon State, their coach departed and a lot of their student athletes have left. Student athletes have left Washington State. So I think that at the end of the day, those two schools will be fine. They've got money. They'll figure out something. But yeah, those are all things that these Mount West presidents and ADs are considering right now. John said, basically, all that aside, it is CSU's job to take care of their own backyard and the opportunities will come. But you got to set yourselves up first to take advantage of that opportunity. The next question was uh, someone asked about uh, how are Jay and Nico with, with this change? Are they still focused on the task at hand? John didn't really lead on to anything with, uh, in particular with the coaches and their thoughts on the change. He said he's obviously talked with both of them. They seem good. Their, John has let them know, look, None of this means that either of you guys are next, especially, you know, Jay Norrell is probably like the guy that hired me uh, is no longer here in um, Joe Parker. And, and, you know, they have not met their expectations the first couple of years. And John assured him that, no, look, this is, you are not next on the chopping block. We, we have a lot of high hopes here. So, um, you know, John pointed at the top 25 basketball team right now, acknowledged the tough loss in Albuquerque, 
but he believes that that team is in great shape. That program is in great shape under Nico and particularly in this, this season, he said they, he thinks that's a roster that's built for March. <laughs> There's no road equivalents in the NCAA tournament. So without that, <laughs> we all know the struggles there, but he believes that on neutral sites, this team is going to perform really well. And he said he's in very close contact with Nico he and Amy, it's a priority for them to make sure that Nico is happy and they want to make sure that he has a really long career with CSU. Amy understands the importance of keeping both of those guys. But, you know, at the end of the day, college athletics are college athletics. People move around, coaches move around, student athletes move around. But John mentioned they're both great coaches. They believe that they're going to do great things here and they they want to keep them. So, uh, as for uh, the next question, someone said, Hey, what's, what's the deal with the athletic director search? Has that begun? Is it just now getting started? And do you expect your name to be one of those candidates? And John said, that's a good question, but said, we are basically just focused right now on the continuity piece. So kind of going back to that, but he did say, we'll surface here in a little bit. We'll, we'll kind of decide, figure out where we're going with that search. I followed up with do you have aspirations of doing it permanently? Because I'm just curious. I mean, he's, he's, he's was a retired guy. He, he jumped into the green and gold guard as out of kind of a necessity, felt he had a skill set there that he could help the university. Uh, and now potentially coming out of retirement to do a very stressful and very demanding job as an AD of Colorado State University. And his response to my question was he has aspirations of serving the, the university in the best way that he possibly can. And he said, I'll just say it that way. But he's been volunteering for CSU in a number of different aspects for for four years now. And um, he said, no matter what I do, I'm always going to be in the orbit of CSU and going to support it in the best way I can. So um, he said, for now, he's going to do whatever uh, the university deems as the best use of his time. So that's how he answered that question. Uh, there was a question about more bigger picture uh, college football, college conference uh, landscape asked about, you know, it, does he think the, there's a possibility of the two conference or the, the top two conference, big 10 and sec breaking away from the NCAA and forming their own little league, you know, leaving everyone else behind. John kind of said, you know what? It, it's a possibility. There's a lot of scenarios out there, and that's one of them. John pointed out how quickly things are changing. A lot of little minutia that's that's just changing the whole dynamics. He just brought up the uh, the Dart Dartmouth student athletes and the National Labor Relations Board, uh, their re recent ruling, uh, ruling that student athletes there at that university are in fact employees, which sets a potential uh, that's a landmark board case there. Uh, although that's a little different situation it's an ivy league school a private school so that ruling involves just that university in particular but if it comes to that where it's that starts applying to public schools all this stuff shakes out a little bit different but he thinks we are heading that way and he said i mean it could turn out to where maybe just in football um employees or, or, or student athletes on a football roster may end up being employees of a university and how that changes things is you know, he thinks in the future, maybe even the near future, it, it will evolve into where universities can start compensating student athletes directly for NIL. And so he said that would be a fascinating kind of change. Uh, and how how would that impact universities? Then there was a question of where do I give my money to? 
Do I give it to NIL? There were a couple people in the room that basically said, look, I'm not a huge believer in this NIL stuff. It's not in my heart. I don't love it. John, by the way, throughout this whole day, kept emphasizing that he's no longer part of the Green and Gold Guard. He's not allowed to be. Um, and he, every, everything that he spoke on related to that topic was based on his his two years of experience doing that on behalf of the Green and Gold Guard for CSU. But he said that the way that he would answer that, how, where, where do you give your money? He said, look, the NIL right now is in a temporary holding pattern. Uh, things are changing rapidly, and the way that it is now is not sustainable. So, and he's not even just talking about the money. He's talking about the fact that an NIL collective has to be a separate entity from the university. And that separate entity makes the deals with the student athletes. So he's like, imagine you're CEO of a company and you don't get to choose how your employees are compensated. You have to go to some other third party, hope that they get it right. They're paying the right guys. They're doing it in a, a, a proper way. And, you know, it's like, that's no way to run a company. <laughs> and that's what exactly what's happening right now is that you've got head coaches who have theoretically zero control over who on his team is getting compensated and, and what they're getting compensated. Uh, so he thought where we're going to end up from an NIL perspective and from an employee perspective uh, is that, again, these players may end up being employees of a university. And if that happens, the positive of that is that all the tools are already there in place to work with those student athletes, those employees, to do things properly around compensation caps, transfer limits, um, you know, the contracts and all the things that you need to, to really, really do it the right way. So, um, and it's kind of almost like the NFL and the NFL Players Association where they're all unionized, right? So I, and John said, I think that's where we're headed. So, and the part of the question was, is there any transparency? Can we see where this money is going? Can we see who's making what? And, um, you know, if it does go that route and you're, you've got student athletes who are employees at a public institution, then that's all going to be a matter of public record. A lot of, a lot of things are going to be a lot more transparent there. So, but for now we're in a very weird spot. <laughs> and this is, uh, this is actually my buddy, Phil, who's also a longtime Ram Nationer from the early days. Don't know how much he's on the board now, but, uh, but anyway, he, um, he was like, so basically there's just no guardrails right now. Uh, in college football around any of these things. And John corrected him. He said, look, yeah, there's actually, there are guardrails, but people are just ignoring them. So another question around NAL donations versus athletic department donations, Marcus Palace, who is uh, the senior associate AD for development at CSU uh, helped answer this question. And, but John, one of the things John said was, you know, I'm going to be a lot more public about our need, our needs at CSU and in, in, in CSU athletics. And, uh, one of the biggest things is butts and seats. We need people to show up and, and be at our games. He also will go to bat for our need to raise money for the operating aspects of the department, the athletic department, as well as work with the Green and Gold Guard because NIL is a very real thing. It's important to have funds there for retaining student athletes in particular. And in some cases where, where it is a lot of schools, being able to go out and get student athletes in the portal. So all three of those things are hugely important to CSU. And, and John said, that's going to be his, you know, his priorities and making sure he's sharing that story on, on, on their needs. 
And he realizes that not all those things are for everybody. Going back to, to Phil's question about, you know, it's not really in my heart to donate to, to NIL, but he said, look, if you don't want to participate in NIL, that's great. If you can't donate to any other aspects of the university, we get it. But come to a game on Saturday. Sort Support us in other ways. We need you. You know, there's people that some people that can do both. There's some people that can do everything. They donate to all areas, go to all the games. Um, but really, it's up to you and your situation to to figure out how you can chip in and, and help. Uh, but he said, make no mistake, we need fan help. We need help in our operating budget. So so the donations that you make as part of your your seats um, all go to that. Your donations you make to the athletic department in any fashion or the Ram Club all goes to that. Donations to NIL are hugely important in addition to that. And then making sure we have full stadiums, it covers a lot more of their, their costs. So it's huge. And, and so somehow the topic of leaning in came up and John kind of laughed and he said, you're not going to hear me say that. And he kind of acknowledged how, how that was not well received uh, by Joe Parker's critics. But uh, he did say, look, what Joe was trying to say is, let's be honest, there is an element of funding that is necessary for us to achieve what we can do here at CSU. And if we don't figure out how to solve the funding problem, the performance on the field problem is not going to fix itself. So he said, there's just no other way to say it. But are we on the right track? Yes, he said. He says what we are. Do we have everything that we need right now to be successful? He said, yes, we do. We have the university. We have a great community. We have great academics. We have phenomenal facilities. We've got people, great people. We've got coaches. Uh, so all of those things, check them off the list. They don't need those anymore. That It's already there and it's available to them. So they got to figure out how to solve some of the other things on the budget side. He he just could not stress that enough. So it's clearly, clearly a directive and clearly a high priority for him and or the, the permanent AD going forward. But he said, I know we got, got to solve the NIL stuff. Um We've got coaches that have proven they can be successful when they get when they have their resources, players. Um, so he just you know, like we got great coaches, we've got some great players, we just need more of them. So uh, again, uh, some more follow up questions on where to give. He just stressed, give to your passion, and if you can't give, help fill arenas, bring fellow uh, friends to games. Um, full stadiums will greatly alleviate a lot of our financial strain. He said, I need all of you to show up at Moby. I need all of you to show up at Canvas. I need your friends, your family, your relatives, your neighbors, and all that kind of stuff. So um, he said, if we can put ourselves in a position where we routinely fill Canvas, as an example, that makes a material difference to the athletic department's operating budget. So um, just kind of going around and around here about the same thing, but um, he, he talked about it multiple times and, and laid on the importance of it. So when Joe Parker said it, he wasn't just, uh, wasn't just blaming fans that we need, that we need their help. Um, this is, this is obviously jo John is, is reiterating that that is a very real need. Also kind of shared some ideas, um, nothing that's in concrete, but he shared some ideas that have been brought up and, and, by him and by the athletic department. Um, so don't expect any of these to really be concrete uh, and, and tangible by this fall or anything like that. But he said, look, we really want to vastly improve game day experience in the stadium, 
Does that mean we've got some DJs in the stands? We just want to do something where there's, we're just creating an energy, creating a different vibe, tying in potential big concerts in a football weekend. They want to go bigger with some of the themes associated with games. But just in general, want to amplify game day experience, the weekend events surrounding the game to get people to Fort Collins, stay in hotels, go to bars. It will benefit the community. Right. And uh, but he said, look, it takes a lot, all of us to build the atmosphere and attendance. Uh, he said, look, we need to support our, our teams, rain or shine, but acknowledge that it is the athletic department's job. It's his job to make sure that there's a hell of a lot more shine than there is rain. So uh, he knows that putting a good product on the field is key. Also acknowledge that they're not going to go out and win every game from here on for the rest of their lives. But um uh, but they can achieve a lot more wins than losses if they're doing it properly. And, and he, he knows that they got to get a better product on the field, particularly in football. And he said, look, we are going to work really, really hard. I am going to work really, really hard to make that happen. And in return, I need you all to show up when it does. So uh, someone asked if some of these schools that have left for faraway leagues may change their minds down the road. John said, basically, just, I really, really hope so. He thinks it's preposterous that a softball team from Oregon is going to travel to New Jersey to play a series on a Wednesday. <laughs> just thinks it's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. Um, he said, look, football going back east from the West Coast four times a year may be manageable, right? But 15 times a year for an Olympic sport on a midweek you know, night, that's just it's unthinkable. It's a, he just doesn't understand it. It's not serving student athletes properly. And he does think that ultimately some of these schools will come to their senses. How long that takes, who knows? Someone asked about uh, merchandise and lack of merchandise and lack of being able to go into stores and get jerseys and, and particular student athletes attire. Um, John has thought similar things as to not being able to find stuff that he wants at stores uh, over the years. Uh, but he did say that look, we do have a relationship with a company called Athletes Thread. If you go to athletesthread.com, you you can find CSU listed under there, and they've got all sorts of memorabilia, um, attire, and even uh, branded with particular student athletes. So um, if you're interested in that, that's where you go. Someone asked about the financial performance of Canvas Stadium. John said, yep, yeah, we're servicing the debt. Yes, the debt goes up a little bit each year. And he said either it was either last year or two years ago that it ratcheted up a, a good significant notch. But um, he said that they are making ends meet there. Um, but it all goes back to getting people in seats, filling the stadium. It would make a drastic difference with uh, with the with the budget there. Uh, someone asked, "What does what happens with the Green Eagle Guard now that you're gone?" And he this has been laid out uh, previously in the press release, I believe, and, and but. A uh, guy named Chris Schmidt will take over as the executive director. A little bit different because John was doing this full-time. He was a volunteer role, but doing it full-time because uh, he was retired. Uh, Chris is not retired. He has a full-time job in addition to this role. He works as managing partner for uh, Colorado Marketplace at Deloitte Consulting. So <laughs> we're splitting those duties, and uh, we'll see how that goes. But he said basically the whole the whole board is going to, come in and, and, and take on a, a bigger role. There were six people uh, that worked for the Green and Gold Guard. John was the executive director previously. Now he's gone. So there are five. 
but they did bring in some interns to help a little bit as well. But just said, look, it's in good hands. May look a little bit different than it did in the past, but he has zero concerns about the collection at this point. Someone asked, uh, followed up with a question about NIL and being able to see what what are these student athletes making, right? And and who's making what? How can I know how my dollars are making an impact? And John said it's a really good question, but it's also a delicate answer. And he said, number one, the contracts between the players and the collectives have a confidentiality agreement with them because if you think about it if you make that data public and so if you know that Braden Fowler Nicolosi for instance is making a hundred thousand dollars ten thousand dollars whatever it may be but Oklahoma says we need a quarterback and he's they're like looking at this public data and they see that BFN's making ten thousand dollars and Oklahoma's got a million dollars to give to a quarterback he said, holy cow, look at that. I've got a million dollars for this same kid. Come on over, buddy, and play for us. And that's just, you know, that's just uh, leading it to, to more disaster than this already uh, that we've already seen. So he does think we're headed to an era, a place where there will be more transparency. But where they're, where they're at now, there's confidentiality, confidentiality agreements for all the players, and it's pretty guarded in terms of what information is out there. CSU's got about 69 student athletes as part of the green and gold guard, by the way, uh, basically all as part of revenue sports um, said, he thinks we're, you know, high end middle of the pack in, in some uh, related to Mount West peers in some sports, maybe lower in other sports. I believe basketball believes they're on the upper third, something like that, but uh, definitely room to grow um, there. Someone brought up anti-NIL sentiment again, um, another different person. And, and you know, she made some good points. And it, uh, frankly, I don't disagree with her in some cases. But um, what what John, how John responded to that was, was, was fascinating because um, he understands that there is some pushback from fans and not wanting to, to give. And it's because there are so many stories about you got Shador Sanders driving a freaking Rolls Royce around campus in Boulder, right? It's that kind of stuff that really sours you. But this is not what CSU with Green and Gold Guard is doing for our student athletes. They're they're mo- they're not making anybody rich. They're not allowing people to drive luxury cars. They're simply enriching lives and helping ends meet. It's that kind of level. John said that. Think about it from this standpoint. If you are a football player. And you get through the end of spring semester, you got about two weeks off to go home and do what you want. Then you got to be back on campus for most of the summer. So you're not going to be going to any internships to further your career. You're not going to be doing some banking internship in Denver. You know, you're you're, you're not going to have time because you're doing workouts. You don't really have limited ability to do summer jobs. So you have limited ability to earn any kind of money. And you do get a $1,300 a month stipend from the university. All schools give a stipend now to their to student athletes, but that, that amount is set by the state, not by the university, by the way. And, uh, you know, John pointed out like $1,300 a month. A lot of these guys are packing in five or six guys into an apartment or house, uh, and they're paying about $900 a month. So that leaves them about $300 a month left over to pay for everything else. So cell phone bill, pay for gas, pay for food, whatever. And it's nearly impossible to make those ends meet. So 
you know, considering the commitment they're making to their sport, the hours that they're spending around the clock during season, those kind of things, and you know, mixing your classwork, it is a it is a load. And so you can see from the standpoint of where when you've got an NCAA making billions of dollars and universities making multi-millions of dollars and student athletes not making anything. NIL from that standpoint makes sense and it's gone off the rails, but what CSU is doing for its student athletes is more to help make those ends meet. So it's night and day different. You look at a place like Kansas that has $7 million just for their basketball team split across 15 guys. Um, you know, that's, that's just a world of difference. So John would love us just to get to figure out how to get the five to seven, five to $7 million total for our whole, uh, all our student athletes to cover all our sports would be freaking outstanding. Said it would make a material difference, uh, in how we are able to get student athletes on a more level playing ground, uh, with our peers. And especially with maybe like looking at bottom third of some of the power conferences out there. But currently our fund is less than half of that, half of that uh, five to seven million. So less than half of five million. Uh, we've got some work to do, right? So large gap to fill from a collective standpoint. So that is now on Chris Schmidt to help uh, direct that effort. Kind of related to that. I mean, it is important to have an NIL program in place. It's going to help you with retention. John said he's not going to stand here and tell us that uh, NIL is the panacea of retention. Uh, and that's all we're going to focus on. But he said, look, we, there's a more holistic retention program for our players. It's more around having a great experience at the university, being around great quality coaches, quality facility, getting a great education, being in a in a quality community that you get to live in. And then what do you get when you leave here? A great education, opportunity to be on a, a career path, you know, getting good internships and and all those things where you know, you're, you're, you're in your, you're in a position where you've made these connections where look, if I stay here, I've made these connections over the last two years. I have an opportunity at this internship, you know, as opposed to going back home and working at a transmission shop, right? Those kind of things. So John really wants to build that aspect up where players are like, this place is so great. They take care of me. Are there greater NIL opportunities out there in the world? Maybe, but this is a place that I want to be. So uh, another question on TV dollar disparity. John pointed out the TV contract for the Mountain West is up in two years. Said the intent of of Commissioner Navarez is to narrow the gap between what these power conferences are getting and what Mount West is getting. Uh, quite frankly, good luck with that. But um, you know, it, it's obviously what has driven all the conference realignment. It's caused everybody to be out for themselves. Um, you know, if you can go from getting five million a year to twenty-five million a year, as some of these, uh, you know, the Conference USA or uh, not Conference USA, uh, the Atlanta uh, American Athletic Conference, some of these, those couple of those teams have jumped to the Big Twelve. I mean, you'd do anything to, to be in that situation, right? So, and he said, look, we would absolutely seek an opportunity like that too. And he's had those conversations with Commissioner Navarra. She knows what uh, she's very aware of what the TV dynamic is doing, and that anybody would jump at, at bigger dollars like that. So she is in a lot of conversations with a lot of media people about what can be done in a couple of years for improving that aspect for the league. Uh, on basketball, uh, just John pointed out how great it would be if you could continue to close out the season strong with a couple more sellouts. The Nevada game, there's still some seats. Did say uh, Marcus Palace pointed out there's a four-pack 
deal for the Nevada game. Um, so uh, if you haven't been to Moby, you haven't been to a game, you got a couple chances left to see Isaiah Stevens at home. So, and you've got McKenna Hofshield on the women's side. So two of the best basketball players that will ever play at CSU just kind of implored fans to get out and, 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 and get to Moby for those last two. Speaking of the sellouts, uh, Marcus pointed out, look, it's been a great season from ticket standpoint. I think they've had five something sellouts so far this year, but he also kind of pointed out that there's true sellouts and then there's student sellouts. So um, the Wyo game coming up is a full, uh, it's a true sellout where the full public allotment is, is sold and the students get around, I don't know, just 3000 or something, just under three, something like that. That means you got about 5,000 tickets sold to the general public. And it, that makes a difference. It's uh it's, Better financially, obviously, when you have paying customers for those tickets. So <laughs> did bring up the sound system. John acknowledged that it is terrible. And Marcus clarified that the cost to replace it is in the 800 grand to 1 million. So uh, there were no commitments that that's going to be done. But John just said, look, it's it, enhancing the fan experience is on our radar. So hopefully that is one of the things on their list in the near future to to, to take care of. Uh, someone asked about recruiting in-state football players. And, um, you know, Coach Norvell has pointed out, and he and John were talking about how, you know, if you've got 10 to 14 guys on the all-conference list each year, that's a, probably a pretty good number and a good indicator of where your program is at. And we're sitting around six to eight on average. Um, so when you're looking at first team, second team, third team, uh, honorable mention. So, <clears throat> They point out we've got to get those numbers up. That's that's we, we have you always got to grow your talent on the field. And one of the things that coach is committed to is recruiting high school athletes, and that includes in state. But John said, look, look, let's be honest though, the population of Colorado, there's two million less people in the entire state of Colorado than there are in the entire Dallas Fort Worth area. So there's less as a, as a smaller concentration of talent here, right? And yes, you want to keep the top guys in, in, in Colorado, especially when you look at the fact that Coach Deion Sanders in, in Boulder is is not recruiting the state as hard as an opportunity where there might be talent here. Um, and John pointed out, look, I grew up in Nebraska where those teams were full of scholarship and walk-on guys. So um, there was a lot of pride among that team to represent their state. And those are things that um, also the the local community will rally around because you got local kids on the roster and you can really promote the fact that this is your hometown team. Lastly, with all the talk of NIL and, and Ram Club, I know that I've seen questions on Ram Nation about what is the deal with the Ram Club? Because Ram Club used to be our primary fundraising arm uh, to help us cover the cost of scholarships at, at, at the athletic department. And it almost was like that was de-emphasized years ago. And now it's kind of back at the forefront. And essentially, yes, the, the Green Eagle Guard is completely separate, obviously. It's a completely separate entity. It's a 501c3. But the Ram Club is anytime a donation is made, so whether it's a straight donation to the athletic department or whether it's given to through your ticket purchases to have access to certain seats, all that just funnels into the Ram Club and that goes towards their operating budget, goes towards their cost of scholarships, all those things. So, so that was the answer there. 
John concluded with, you know, it was excited. I think it was a real, I think it was his first real event as a AD where he's meeting with actual fans and he invited everybody that was there to reach out to him personally and uh, just implore people to, to get out to games, football, basketball, other sports, whatever, and just support the university in any way possible. So really good stuff from John. I know that was long, but I wanted to just share some of those things because really the first time that we've got the, a chance to to talk about his vision and, and see his thoughts on everything going around in college athletics right now. Okay, before we bring in Mike Rowe and Steve Ivey to talk about the Rams' heartbreaking loss at New Mexico Wednesday night, let me pause real quick, tell you about Ginger and Baker. Just went there for lunch last week prior to the CSU-Utah State basketball game. It was fantastic. Tried a new dish at the cafe, the Sweet Heat Chicken Sammy. It's a fried breaded chicken thigh with house buffalo sauce. It's just really delicious, spicy sauce that also has a nice sweetness to it. Topped with gorgonzola apple slaw a tomato all on a burger bun. So many great comfort food classics at the cafe. Then you've also got the cash upstairs where you can enjoy fine steaks, chops, good whiskey, or select from their award-winning wine list. Ginger Baker also features a coffee shop, a market, a teaching kitchen, and event spaces. And man, they've got some really cool event spaces. The Milltop is worthy of wedding events. In fact, there was a couple meeting there on Saturday going through some of their options for a wedding Plus, the wine cellar is a classy, intimate space, perfect for events or corporate meetings. There's something for everybody here. It's amazing, guys. Support our friend Ginger Graham and treat yourself to world-class experience at our favorite place, Ginger and Baker. All right, let's bring in my boys, Michael Rowe and Steve Ivey of Crackers College Hoops blog and podcast. Guys, really tough loss last night. And um, I think it's hard for me to be too hard on them right now just because i thought that the way that they fought was pretty valiant they came back from double digit deficits after a slow start to start the game as well as uh start to the second half out of the locker room uh and i you know just the way that they competed it was good to see them compete but the way that they lost though um really has you shaking your head so the the rams took the lead with 43 seconds left on a pat cartier three and then uh, took the lead again with uh, Isaiah Stevens hitting two free throws with seven seconds left, but then inexplicably inexplicably let New Mexico freshman Donovan Dent go coast to coast in about four seconds for an easy layup to take the lead and ultimately get the win. So just wanted to get your thoughts, guys. Let's just start with the end there, and then we can kind of break down the rest of the game. But uh, I know that we... We've talked ad nauseum uh, through text after the game, I think kind of venting, but what were you thinking as you saw that unfold and happen and just kind of blow a chance, a rare chance to win a game at the pit? Um, yeah, we, we did have a lot. We spent a lot of time texting last night, didn't we? <laughs> and uh, to be honest with you, I had a pretty sleepless night. I was so worked up. Um, I was, you know, all I could think of in the final eight seconds, 7.8 seconds, whatever it was, was, I hope to God they realize that New Mexico will try and get the ball to Donovan Dent going downhill and driving all the way to the basket for a layup. And then when I watched it unfold, you saw what uh, four-letter expletive I dropped as soon as he made it. It was so uncharacteristic of this team and this coaching staff. We just didn't look ready in those last eight seconds to defend the way we needed to defend. And there's plenty of pictures. There's plenty of video out today 
they basically let Dent catch the ball at full speed. Uh, they weren't ready to meet him, uh, and they weren't ready to provide any help to Jalen Lake, who got stuck. Jalen stumbled. Jalen got beat. But the bottom line is um, that was the most unconnected I've seen our defense look this year. We have a very, very good defense. And uh, for them to look as unconnected as they did on that final sequence told me basically somehow things didn't get communicated very well during that uh, timeout that uh, New Mexico took uh, in between Zay's free throws. Somehow that's where the, the defense needed to be set. And they just looked so unsure of how they wanted to play it. And lo and behold, that's how you lose a game. And it's a shame because uh, they had fought so valiantly to put themselves into that position. Like you mentioned, Joel, going down 10 and then coming back and doing what they did and taking the lead and hitting big shots. Uh, like I said, just so uncharacteristic. And you you had, it wasn't like Zay missed the free throw and it was a mad scramble to get back on D. He makes the free throw. Not only that, there was actually a substitution. So there was plenty of time to get back and get set up and figure out where you're supposed to be based on what the coaches told you in that timeout. Really inexplicable to, to, to witness what happened. Mike, what about you? How'd you lose your mind? <laughs> <laughs> right? So... It, it, it's funny because right before Isaiah shot his second free throw, I, I don't know who's doing the play-by-play. -play. I, I only hear Avery Johnson whenever the guys are talking. But he asked, he's like, so to CSU get back and go into a 2-3 zone, and Avery Johnson was like, <laughs> I was about ready to try his voice, but I can't do it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> but he, he, he was like, you know, they, they just won't have enough time to get back to, to go into their zone, which we were we were very effective in that second half to get us back into that game, running that one, three, one, running that two, three. And he, he's just like, if he makes it, they won't have enough time to get back. We had enough time. The, the defense offense substitutions after Zay made that we had enough time to get back and, and set up that one, three, one, or, or even that two, three, make sure that the paint was clogged up so that we didn't have that, that, you know, coast to coast layup like we had. I was really shocked that we didn't pick him up full court. Uh, at least having uh lake or, or, or strong, just, you know, fronting dent and making him pass that to the house or, or Mashburn. And it was just, we let him have it. We let him get that full head of steam. But the other four guys just were standing at the three-point line. It was – it was they didn't try to collapse at all and make him try to pass it out. I don't know if they were afraid that they didn't want to get a cheap foul, which we got a lot of in the second half. Both teams did, by the way. Got a lot of those in the second half. Or what? Like, it, 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 it blew my mind that this wasn't discussed. This wasn't discussed in that timeout that Patino called after Zay made the first the first free throw to tie the game, that it was just – I don't know if they were expecting Patino to call his final timeout and set up a play or what. But it, it – it, I, I was just watching it, and it was almost seemed like it was in slow motion. Like, is this really happening? Is, is he really going to go coast to coast? And he did, and it, it's 
again, it, it just like you said, our defense. I think this is the best defense that I have seen CSU have, especially under Nico and in, in over the last six years. And and for them to just have that kind of a breakdown and and to not know what they were going to do, just it it blows my mind. It blew my mind last night. Just like you, Steve, <laughs> I wake up. I'd wake up every couple hours in the middle of the night just like did that really freaking happen did we just do that and it and we did <laughs> and we started the text thread again first thing this morning <laughs> <laughs> you know mikey the 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 thing that you know you talked about you know guarding the three point line it looked like we were defending as if we were up three not up one you know um, I think one of the things that may have happened with the substitute is if you look, they had five three-point, they had five perimeter players on the floor at the end of New Mexico. And that might have caught us by surprise, but it shouldn't have because you knew that given New Mexico's history this year, they were going to try and get Donovan Dent downhill to the rim where he excels. And for us to just let it happen, um, just a complete shock. So. Yeah, you said you, know, our, you our said friend, it when Jeff, it was happening. Like you texted, "Don't let him get downhill here." I heard uh, Brian Roth and Adam Nigon say the exact same thing on air as I had their sound going. Um, and 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 Patino said after the game, there was only one play for us in that situation. And that was get it to Donovan Dent and let him drive down. He goes, "That was all we were going to do. There's not a whole lot you could do in seven seconds." And so everyone seemed to know that's what was coming, except for our team. Yeah. You know, hey, Mikey, getting back to that original point you made on uh, Nico's best defense, I don't know if you saw, uh, there's a a good Ram fan, Jacob uh, Shilgen, who published something earlier today on Twitter that talked about where CSU's defense has been since the 1st of February. Um, And they played six games in February. And there's a a website named barttorvik.com that does a lot of uh, deep statistical analysis. And they have us as the third best defense in the country in the month of February. That's how good we've been. And that's what was so shocking. We've been so connected. We've been so solid. We haven't made it easy for teams to score. And then at the moment of truth, we just let the obvious happen. And and I don't know if they were so worried about how the, the possession before. We had great defense. He just He just made a great shot high off the glass it went in and i don't know if if they were so worried about house getting that same shot and making it but i would rather have that off balance high off the glass than a wide open layup like we saw and the fact that you know our friend jeff grammer posted video of the three shots that dent has made this year side by side by side and it's the exact same freaking play. So you're right, Patino, that's all he had. You know, that's yeah. his, his go-to in that situation. And how how our staff didn't just – anything, anything to, to slow him down is it, it is beyond me. What would you have done different, Steve, if you were coaching that, that, uh, that series? Um, first and foremost – uh, try and keep the ball out of dense hands, but that's probably going to be really, really hard. Uh, you know, you can, uh, I think putting a defender and face guarding him and forcing him to run backwards to catch the ball, to take up a little bit of time, take away his momentum, um, and then fall back, 
probably into uh, into a two three zone, force him to dribble into a crowd and force him to make a crazy good pass, force them to make some kind of wild ass shot at the end, whether it's a three or whether, like Mikey said, whether it's a crazy uh, bank shot by Jalen House. But you got to force a tougher look. You can't just let somebody go to the rim. But they never slowed him down. First, you got to slow him down. First and then secondly, you got to get the ball out of his hand somehow. And if if he's going to keep dribbling all the way to the basket, you surround him. He turns the ball over and never gets a shot off if you play it right. Moving on from that, how did you like the final possession? I thought the way they got the ball quickly across midcourt and got the timeout was good. Obviously, it seemed like Nico thought that they were going to not give Isaiah a good chance at getting the ball there to to beat him with that last shot. And uh, Neek was the one that sort of came open and kind of took a desperation shot, falling backwards. What did you think about how they drew that up? I thought it was fantastic. I thought they did everything right in those last, what is it, 2.9, 3.1, whatever it was. Yeah. Um, the pass from uh, Neek to Joel Scott at midcourt was absolute rocket. Joel called the timeout right away. They got the ball in a good place and they ran a good play. Um, I thought they might go for two. I've seen them run some plays in practice that are really, really killer from that spot. And I thought they might go for two. I'm not going to talk about what it is they do because uh, they still might use it, but I've seen them run uh, a really good play that can result in a, in a layup from that spot. Um, but I thought the, the, the final play well, you know, basically, uh, Cartier setting a screen for uh, for Clifford to get a three because Nico wanted to win with a three. And I think Clifford was the most logical person to take that shot, even though he hasn't been shooting well. He's the guy that's tall enough and long enough that he's going to at least be able to get the shot off. And they got the uh, they, they got the screen set. I thought New Mexico played it really, really well. It was uh, their center, Nelly Jr. Joseph. It would have been very, you know, usually at, at that point in the game, everybody's told to switch all screens. Um, and he switched the screen. He was guarding Car uh, Cartier, and he switched uh, onto, uh, onto Neek. Um, but it would have been very, very easy for uh, Nelly Jr. Joseph as a big coming off a screen at the top to drop two steps toward the paint. And if he had done that, Neek would have had a better look. So credit to Nelly Jr. Joseph of uh, New Mexico for uh, basically staying in Neek's face, forcing him into a tough look. And I'm not sure if he even got it off in time. It was close. It would have been definitely uh, going to the monitor. But I thought CSU's execution was perfect in that situation. I thought they did well. The one thing that was funny was if you go back and look at it, I don't know if you noticed, but Josiah Strong was wide open after making the pass to uh, Joel Scott. He stepped in bounds. He's about four feet behind the three-point line, and I can't remember who was guarding him. It might have been it might have been Dent, or uh, I think it was Donovan Dent. Donovan Dent dropped into the paint. He completely left Josiah alone. It would have been real easy for uh, for Joel to. Uh, if, if Josiah had yelled for the ball, he was wide open um, and had a better look than uh, the Neek would have gotten. But uh, but that's neither here nor there. I thought they executed it real well, Joel. I would have. I mean, personally, I, I, I actually like that they gave Zay the decoy and, and dropped him to the corner because either their best defender drops with him 
and that kind of opens up the rest of the flow on the on the offense. Or he drops off and Zay's open for corner three. So I had no problem. Everyone's like, well, why'd they send Zay to the corner? Why'd they send Zay to the corner? I kind of liked it. Um, I would have liked to have seen Cartier getting that shot over Neek. Um, especially, man, down the stretch, the final 30 seconds, man, he was on, like, he was on, like, it, it just seemed like he was stepping up. And I would have liked to have seen him take the shot uh, and have them set something up for him. But you're right. I mean, they set it up. They set it up. We had an open look. I mean, contested, but we had a look. And that's what you want in that situation. And Nick hits it. We're talking about what a great job our coaching staff did over the final, over the final minute. And, you know. He did. He didn't have the cleanest look, but he's also probably the guy that's struggling the most shooting right now. I mean, he's, I think going into that shot, he was one for his last 20 over the last five games. So he is really struggling shooting. I'm not sure what's happened to him offensively. Uh, he brings a lot to the table as far as rebounding and defense goes. But uh, yeah, we, we could have used a little bit more from him. Could have used a couple of those uh, chip shots, chippies to to go in as well. We missed a few at the bucket. That just was was a little aggravating to watch. I I, I do want to say this: a lot of people like hammering on on Nico, <laughs> hammering on the staff. Yes, the final seven seconds weren't the greatest, you know. However, like you said, I mean, we miss a lot of bunnies, a lot of bunnies. Nick. Uh, ne- one for nine, zero assists. I mean, he he played well on defense, 11 boards. I think he had a couple blocks. Uh, but that's where we lost the game. We didn't lose the game because of what happened with seven seconds left. We lost the game because we were missing wide-open layups. Isaiah was hitting people in the back whenever he had an opportunity to lead brace. I mean, he was – trying to throw it cross court and getting or full court getting it stolen. He didn't have the best game. I mean, why do you have it finished up with like six, six turnovers? Uh, very uncharacteristic, uncharacteristic for the whole team without how many turnovers we had. So what happened with seven seconds left? It's not why we lost the game. We lost the game because we missed a lot of easy shots and a lot of wide open looks again. I think on that text thread, we had only scored what 14 points in our final in the previous 28 minutes of second half play on the road the last two games luckily we turned it around the last 12 but that yeah it wasn't i mean we can't blame our coaches because what they did got us to that point so new mexico took care of the ball better than we did i think it was 12 to 4 turnovers and that that obviously yep. hurt you uh rebounding we actually did a pretty good job rebounding the ball i think that it, it final numbers ended up really close but uh first half especially were really swarming the boards yeah you know joel it was uh they 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 did a little better than us on the second chance points and obviously points off turnovers with that 12 to 4 margin we did really well we had more fast break points and the of course the irony of that is they marked down Donovan Dent's layup at the end, those three points as fast break points. <laughs> uh, the seven seconds to go and 
going full length of court. They called it a fast break because of the time it took four it seconds. Took four seconds. They had five. That team plays fast. They had five fast break points the entire game. We played tremendous transition defense given the number of shots we missed. So, you know, we played well. We There's some things we did really, really well. Like I said, this is a top defense. Um, this is a this is a team that, you know, to be honest with you, you know, I, I ran the numbers. I looked at those numbers on Bart Torvik that Jacob came up with that showed us the third best defense. They also show us in the month of February as the top team in the Mountain West and the 14th best team in the country. Um, and, uh, and, and that's saying a lot. That's ahead of uh, everybody. Um, unfortunately, I'm going to give you another number. The team that's 15th is Nevada, who we get on Tuesday. The next team is like 25th, and it's UNLV, and we get them on Saturday. We get the two hottest teams in the Mountain West in the next two games. Yep, it's uh, it's gonna be a a tough close to the season. I, curious as to what you think. I mean, obviously we've struggled in true road games, and well, in league especially, obviously is is where you have those true road games. But uh, we've had uh, what's our only is it is Fresno our only road win in league? Yep, yep, yep. You have two more chances at UNLV Saturday, and then at Air Force March 9th. I'm curious as to what you've seen here, Steve and Mike. Do you guys think that this team, I know the struggles that they've had in true road games, but does this team have the the makeup to to make a run at the Mount West tournament in Vegas uh, in the middle of March and then a week later in the NCAA tournament? You feel good about, about this team, toughness, shot making, able to, to win? Personally, I do. I feel really good about – where this team is at. Like I said, the, the, the last several games, they played awfully well. Don't forget a 20 point win over Utah state. I don't care if it was at home. Um, no one's beaten them by 20, 13 point win over Boise at home, eight point win over a good San Diego state team. Um, they're playing, they're doing really good things. They're playing great defense. The offense has fallen off a little bit. The three point shooting has been down substantially. Um, I would expect that to come back a little bit. We saw Jalen Lake uh, show a little sign yesterday. That's going to be important. But we need uh, we need all the guys to start shooting at their uh, the clips they were shooting at through the month of uh, January. Um, it, but I feel good. I the concern I have obviously in the Mountain West tournament is we could end up as a six or a seven seed, meaning you got to play Wednesday and then Thursday and Friday if you make it that far. Four games in four days is an awful lot. And I don't want to see them have to play four games in four days because I don't think that sets them up well for the uh, for the NCAA tournament should they uh, get the at-large bid as we expect. You know, I agree. I'm not – I mean, you, you look at our losses on the road. You know, Utah State sellout. Fans are on top of us. Boise State sellout. Fans are on top of us. Wyoming rivalry game, crazy, unbelievable. Cough, cough, horrible officiating. Right? (laughs) Everything that could go wrong did. San Diego State. Honestly, that's another one. I mean, we blew a 14-point lead. Worst half of basketball I've ever seen. But sellout crowd. Fans are on top of us. Last night, the pit. Everybody knows how the pit is. In all honesty, Nevada. Sorry, forgot about Nevada. Sellout crowd. Fans are on top of us. Other than Nevada and the second half against San Diego State, I, we should have won all those other games. 
you know, we talked about it after the Utah State and Boise State games back in January. We're a better team. So I'm not too worried in, in going into going into Mountain West tournament, going into Saturday. UNLV fans aren't going to sell that out. They're not going to be on top of us. It's going to be a different type of game. And when we get to when we get to the Mountain West play, it's going to be a 50-50 crowd when on in the games that we play or you know, I don't I don't see like somebody cheering against us that's playing or all that stuff. It's going to be a, a, a an even crowd and we've shown what we can do on a neutral court, especially you know, going back to Kansas City, going back to Vegas already. So I'm not I'm not too worried about that. I, I I honestly think that we're the best team in the Mountain West, and I like our chances in the Mountain West tournament. That being said, if you look at the standings, we're currently in seventh place, which uh, <laughs> which is nuts, unbelievable. So think about it, Joel. Though seven seconds yesterday and two seconds against Wyoming, play those nine seconds, great, and we're in first place. That's how close it is. Yep. Yep. And uh, so you obviously you said it, Steve. You want to avoid finishing below the fifth spot. So I mean, does that necessitate us running the table from here on out? Obviously, there's there's what everyone has about five games left to go. Uh, so there's a lot that can happen with some of those teams above us. But man, I'm not sure. I feel real comfortable if we even if we lose at UNLV that that we're going to finish in the top five. Yeah, I it's going to be 12 and 6 will definitely if we if we run the table and finish uh 12 and 6 we'll finish top 5. 11 and 7 is problematic and depending on tiebreakers. Um and I'm not sure. I don't even want to I don't even want to speculate what the tiebreakers look like, but uh but uh you don't want to uh, 11 and 7 will be problematic. Yeah, it just sets you up for a a quad 3 game probably. <laughs> Uh, lose that that definitely will ding your uh ding your your seating win that it's not helping you and then obviously you're you're expending an extra game's worth of energy so god you gotta avoid that that extra game but uh a lot of ball still to play but uh it stinks to have another season go by we're not going to win the conference this year um you know can i let me talk about that a little bit too joel because you know we're 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 a little bit of a victim of the uh, the unbalanced schedule that the Mountain West plays. Um, if you look at any of the analytics, it will tell you that to date CSU has played the toughest schedule in the Mountain West. And by the end of the season, they they in New Mexico will basically have played the toughest schedules in the Mountain West. Um, and teams like Utah State avoided uh, uh, home games with uh, – with UNLV and a road game at uh, at Nevada, Boise State avoided a road trip to uh, to UNLV and they lost to UNLV at home. There's all kinds of teams ahead of us that uh, have benefited from uh, from the the unbalanced schedule, which of course sets you up for lousier seeds in the tournament. On the positive side, you know if you look at last night in terms of the uh, the advanced analytics in terms of net ranking and Ken Palm we lost and we didn't move at all in the net rankings. We stayed 25th. And so we're seeing the benefit. You want to play a tougher schedule if you want to get an NCAA at large bid. And so while the conference championship is, uh, is certainly gone, there's no way we're going to get there with six losses. 
Um, we're in great shape uh, at 25th in the net rankings, 28th in the Ken Palm. And if we can sustain and win these these last four games, we're looking really, really good to still get a, a top six or seven, a number six or seven seed in the NCAAs. Exactly. Like losing last night to New Mexico <laughs> was better for us than if we went to San Jose State instead and won that game. You know, so I get it. I get it. We haven't won a conference championship in 30 years, 40 years. Everyone always wants to talk about it on the board. But college basketball is a whole different thing. It's about getting in the tournament, and, and that's all that matters. Like, it's not it's not about if you win the conference title. I mean, look how many, look how many champions that we've had over the last – I mean, probably the last 30 years. How many of them were their conference champions? I, I mean – would love to know that. I mean, how many times has Duke and Carolina won, Steve? That you know that they they didn't win the ACC. They win the they they look forward towards the tournament. That's what that, our mindset needs to be getting in. Not Mountain West championships good, but get getting to the tournaments better. Yeah, I, you know, I, I I we all want championships. We all want uh, we all want to be at the top of the top of the mountain. To be honest with you, but. What do you get for that? You get a trophy and a notation. Uh, what do you get when you go to the NCAA tournament? You get cash. You get money. It's it's it's, it's sorry. That's the lifeblood of uh, how to build uh, how to build athletic departments and how to build programs. You don't you don't you don't build a program by bringing home a trophy from Las Vegas. You build a program by winning multiple games in the NCAA tournament. And I think this team can do that. So, anything else you want to add before we sign off? Um, I'm, ex- I'm excited I, I, about the future of the athletic department. You know, I'm seeing seeing some good changes already. I think that, uh, you know, again, we talked about it on Monday. Don't need to rehash it, but I'm excited about the future of, of CSU. Um, I want to add one thing, Joel. I want to give a shout out to a good friend of ours, Aaron Harris, who did a, a thing on uh, on Twitter where he said, uh, given that this is a big game with New Mexico, let's uh, let's all band together and see if we can get people to donate for every point CSU scores. Donate a dollar to the uh, to the green and gold uh, guard uh, if CSU wins. And he had seventy people lined up to do that. So I want to give a shout out to Aaron. It was kind of fun watching all the people get into it. I know uh, uh, I know you guys were. I uh, got involved and. Uh, and I ended up I ended up sending some money uh, this morning. That was my cleansing after last night's tough loss. But I I sent my sixty six dollars onto the green and gold guard, um, and that that helped ease my mind, knowing that uh, we had fun uh, trying to trying to do something positive as a result of a win with other Ram fans. And it's always nice to to, to have have something like that happen. I saw several people still donated, so that was awesome. And I agree, Aaron is. As good as it gets when it comes to Ram fandom. So uh, that was awesome to see so many people get involved. And would have been better if we would have won and taken better advantage of it. But I'm sure he will do that again for a couple of these final games coming up. All right, boys. Well, thanks for your time. Thanks for helping break this all down and uh, better days ahead. And let's uh, take take the next couple of days to shake it off and come back strong in Vegas. For those of you, you going to Vegas, have fun. Get us to win. I've already instructed the team that they need to do more for Isaiah this year after what he did last year. So they're ready. They'll be ready. They'll be good to go.
That's hey, right. one, one last thing. He was one unconscious. <laughs> hey, one last thing. Uh, and I promise this is the one last thing. For those of you, we all know that the Wyoming game is sold out March 2nd. Let's turn Clune green. That game's not sold out, especially for everybody in Denver. That's a cl- quicker drive than it is the Moby. Get to Clune. Let's fill that up. Let's send out our seniors with a win down there. I love it. Moby South. Spot on, Mikey. I already had, I got my tickets a month ago, so I'm ready Save to go. It. Good deal. All right, fellas. Thank you. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Let's go, Rams. Get a win at UNLV Saturday night. I got my grub on, but didn't.